Hey, it's Jordan. I am here with United Auto Workers President Sean Fain. Uh, day five of the stand-up strike. Uh, and you made, uh, I guess, a little bit of news yesterday, uh, setting a new deadline by Friday uh, for uh, new plants to go on strike. Uh, first, let me ask you, because people might not know, even though it's just three plants right now that are on, on strike, it affects significantly more than those three plants because there's a lot of other plants relying on them. Can you kind of explain this strategy and how these three plants that are currently shut down, how that's affecting other locations? Well, I mean, like with the uh, Michigan Assembly plant, for instance, you know, they, they, uh, uh, they stamp parts for other plants. So by taking that plant out, I mean, you know, the... You know, there's there's things with the strategy we've looked at as far as even even the vehicles, the the the, uh, the uh, supply they have of the vehicles and all that, and then I, obviously like when they stamp parts from multiple plants, that can affect other plants. Um, you know, there's uh, you know there's you know down the pipeline, engine plants, transmission plants, the supply assembly plants. So you know it can affect several things, and uh, so you know all that plays into it. But it's really uh, just trying to analyze where we think um, we can you know make the most impact. Uh, you know, with the with the companies, you know, for the membership, and so uh, we've got to hit pressure points, and um, we got a great team of people doing a lot of work, uh, you know, that uh, have really broke this down, and uh, so we've got a lot of options, and that's the beauty of the stand-up strike, you know, instead of hitting everybody at once, and and pretty much at that point you're just out and you're waiting. Uh, this gives us a lot of options and a lot of ability to apply pressure, depending on how things are progressing or not progressing in bargaining. So, leaves us with a lot of options. Right. And it seems that it's at an opportune time. That's okay. Uh, uh, it seems that it's at an opportune time because some of these companies are trying to roll out new electric vehicles at the moment. Yeah. So it's kind of halting those plans for them in the short term. Yeah, I mean, and, and the work of you know that's the thing. I mean, we're the work of our members we're not only paying the price uh just in how we've regressed over the years in wages and benefits and you know half of our members don't have any retirement security um it's not just that that facet of it i mean we stand you know in this ev transition if that work doesn't fall under under uh, our contracts or or with our with our standards i mean our members stand to lose there also and so there's so many factors playing into this and then the work that our members do uh, you know the work we do in these plants these sales of of these vehicles is what's generating the profits for these companies to make these investments in the battery EV and, and all these uh, different vehicles. So, you know, uh, they're making all these profits and all these investments off the backs of these workers, and, and our workers keep falling further behind. It, it's it, that's got to stop. We got to end this. You know, I was here in 2019 during the GM strike, and you hear from a lot of old old uh, retirees that they constantly were told by UAW bosses, "Live to fight another day." Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> we got to take this or. They're going to close down the plant. Uh, I noticed you said something at the big rally the other day. We have nothing to fear. The only limit we have is the limit we put on ourselves. We've got to stop it. No limits. That seems bigger than just this strike. That seems kind of you're talking about the working class, which has been battered and bruised, that we need to stop just being complacent with crumbs. Can you kind of talk about what you mean by, you know, the only limit? Is, is what we put on ourselves. When I hear the phrase, live to fight another day, I want to literally beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> we had that embedded in our brains as workers coming through over the years. And it would drive me up a wall when I would hear a leader say, live to fight another day. Another day came and went over and over and no one fought. 
And so our, this is our time. This is our, we call this our generation defining moment. This is it. And so, you know, and when, we, when I talk about not having limits, you know, throughout my campaign running for this job, and, and even since then, when we're talking about our issues, when we put our demands out there, I can't tell you how many people would say, you know, oh, you'll never get cost of living back. That's a thing of the past. You'll never, why are you fighting for pensions? We'll never see a pension. And all I heard is what we can't do. And our, unfortunately, that was driven by a leadership that had a can't-do mentality, settling for the bare minimum and making people think that's okay. The sky has to be the limit. We cannot limit ourselves on what we can achieve. If the founders of this union would have went into, went into negotiations saying what they can't do, if they would have went in and they would have fought, or if they wouldn't, they, they fought. They, they fought, they got beat up. They, some gave their lives to have this opportunity, and they didn't give a damn what anybody told them they couldn't have. They said, no, we're going to take it. We're going to get what we have to get, no matter how, by any means necessary. And that's the mentality we have to have. We cannot limit ourselves by saying, well, I know coal is a, you know, it's been gone for 14 years. It's a thing of the past. No, it's not. You know, cola was there for a reason. It was there for what happened in the last few years when inflation shot up 19, 20 percent. It's there to protect the consumer and protect the workers, you know, so that we can, our purchasing power doesn't go backwards. And uh, we have done nothing over the course of the last 40 years but go backwards. I've been watching CNBC because I like to torture myself. And uh, you've been compared to Trotsky. This man, this man studied Trotsky. I got to tell you, studied Trotsky before pre-ice picking era. He's now saying, hey, just shut them down, send them to Mexico, these plants. I think there's a nuclear option on the table if he's not careful. And that nuclear option is a country called Mexico. You don't hear about it much. But if you say we're intransigent and we're going to stay at 40 percent, there's no give. Well, you know what? Monterey, Puebla. Corretero. There's the capacity to have that happen, not overnight. Mercedes, Mercedes did it in two years. Two years would be a long time to... Why? Uh, they don't have that much demand. You put that out there and you say, listen, all the new... You want to know where the new ones are going to be made? We're going to continue to make the old ones. But Pueblo's got a 55,000-person factory for VW, and they got a good educational workforce. It's $5 an hour. No real pollution control rules. That's not to be mentioned. Free health care. So you know what? You want to play ball? You want to keep doing this? Mexico. Glad to see you're standing up for the American worker here, Jim. Thanks for that. Uh, but Joe Kernan, who's worth $3 million, uh, that's his salary, uh, at CNBC, he said, uh, that's just optics, what the CEOs make. It doesn't really matter. Uh, UAW is uh, deploying a, quote, politics of envy by uh, continually hammering the CEO pay. I'm not hearing a lot of concern about increasing CEO pay, increasing well, stock buybacks. But sure, that's just optics. If, if, you, if you take the 20 or 25 or 30 million, that, that's de minimis for, for what we're talking about at the success of the company. Maybe optically it looks bad and uh, you know it's a politics of envy and everything else. Are, are you and the workers just, quote, envious of uh, the CEOs? I call it a politics of reality, um, the reality of what our members go through every day. I mean, our, we, the majority of our workers are scraping to get by, paycheck to paycheck. I mean, uh, you know, uh, that's not envy. Um, you know, when workers start out at 15 or $16 an hour, and it could take them years as a temp to even get to full-time. If they get to full-time, there's no guarantee they'll get there. If they do, they go to 18, and then they have an eight-year progression to get the full pay. Um, they're not, our members are, this isn't the old big three where, you know, it, it was the gold standard. When you got a job at the big three, you were set for life. That's not what this is anymore. 
And that's what we're fighting to bring back. These jobs should matter. And we're generating a quarter of a trillion dollars in profits in the last decade, 21 billion the first six months this year. And our workers are falling further and further behind. That's got to stop. And, you know, it's, it's ironic, you know, when, uh, you know, Kramer's comparing me to Trotsky or anyone else and talking about, you know, the ninth class at Harvard is going to be Sean Fain and, and communism. And I, I laugh, you know, it's like I tell them, you know, yeah, there's I come from central Indiana. I said, yeah, that's central Indiana is really known for a breeding ground for cornfields and communism. It's <laughs> it's laughable. But, um, you know, and, and it's just sad to see the fear that they put into people and they try to, you know, play on people's fears. And all this is is workers wanting their fair share. It's not this isn't we're not asking to be millionaires. We're asking for our fair share so people can live you know they can have a roof over their head they can have security and 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 not have to scrape to get by and worry about if they're going to be able to pay the bills next week and that's where a lot of our members are can you talk about you've done something interesting uh jim farley the ford ceo was just his head was going to explode that you wouldn't come and you know do a symbolic handshake but you've been going plant to plant meeting with members shaking their hands and I'm sure, I mean, I've only been here five days, but the stories I'm hearing are horrifying. Yeah. Can you talk about just the stories you've heard from temp workers, even full-time workers, of just struggling to survive, you know, uh, single parents, people yeah. working multiple jobs? Uh, what have you been hearing from your workers? Well, it's all those things. And, and, and understand something. I've went, I've went through all those things. I've scraped to get by. I mean, I, I've been on government aid years ago. Uh, right prior to me hiring in, in, in at, still at Chrysler, and uh, you know we were on WIC and for, at WIC to get diapers and formula for my firstborn child. Uh, you know uh, when I hired in, it was still you know it was tough initially. You know still trying to make up for years of scraping to get by, and so um, you know I come from a plant where it's a very hot, harsh environment. It's a die casting plant. Um, summertime it could be 130 degrees. You know out there in the plant, it's it's hot hard work and uh, our members work hard in these plants and, and they're living you know they're working seven days a week 12 hours a day a lot of them it's not like you're in there 40 hours and you have time to go to ball games for your kids or you know spend more time with your kids or or just do things you enjoy doing and uh, you know and, and the sad irony is you know it's one thing if you've been there for years and you're making top pay and you can choose to work seven days a week it's another thing when you're forced to work seven days a week and it's an, another thing when a lot of your members have to work seven days a week because they're making such low wages that they can't survive. Right. And, and that's what we have to change in this world. This, this dynamic of the billionaire class running away with everything and the working class just continually scraping to get by, it's got to stop. Yeah. I actually read a statistic that back in 1914, uh, workers were making $5 a day, which if you amount that to today's day and age, they'd basically be making less. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's unreal. I want to ask you about uh, this strategy, because I'm sure you saw a lot of workers wanted all at once, and a lot of UAW workers are kind of conditioned to think that the bosses are going to sell them out. Uh, what's behind this strategy of, you know, a couple plants at a time? And should workers worry that in the end, you know, the talk is good, but, you know, UAW will sell them out? Well, there's there, the, the beauty of this is there's nothing they have to worry about because the membership ratifies the agreement. Um, I, I'm not forcing nothing on anybody. I've been there. I've been on the floor when things like this happened. I've been a local rep when bad agreements happened. I was anti-ratification in 2007 when they when, when they put tiers, when they created the, the second tier, hiring people in at $14 an hour, and uh, I was anti-ratification then. I've been a staff rep as they've done things that I disagreed with. I've been vocal about it. 
And so, you know, that's really what I ran for was to change that and, and to change the way we do things. And so we've been very open about the bargaining process. I mean, when have you ever heard your leadership get on and give updates and, and uh, talk about our issues? Um, you know, the strategy really, um, and trust me, if I had my way, I'd just love the nuclear option. I want to just press the button and take everybody out and we just hit the streets. And um, But, you know, I, I, I hope, that, and I know the membership, you know, you can't just ask people to trust you after everything that's went on. I understand that. I don't expect everybody just to trust me because I'm new and I'm the president. It's gonna, the proof's going to be in the work we do, and uh, we got to deliver. So, um, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, we have a lot of people working on this. Um, look, we looked at every option and we tried to map things out how to do things, how to go about this. At the end of the day, we want to get the best agreement possible for our members. And we felt like this plan is the best path to, to make that happen. And uh, it gives us a lot of power and it keeps the companies guessing. The companies have no idea what, what may or may not come next. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I think that gives us a lot more leverage as, as we bargain to, to get things done. So, uh, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, this is the membership's agreement. And everything we're doing is about them, and it's up to them to ratify it or not ratify it. If they don't ratify whatever we come up with, look, I've, 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 as a plant rep, there's people that came in and disagreed with me on something, and I'm like, look, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna offend me if you disagree. Go to the next step in the process. I, I, I don't worry about those things. Um, uh, I'm an open book. I got nothing to hide, and uh, we're gonna do the best we can do. And uh, if the membership says yes, great. If, if, if uh, at the point we get an agreement, if they don't, then we're going to keep pounding away and do what we can do. Uh, I don't know if you saw Mary Barra. She, uh, the General Motors CEO, did a bit of a robotic interview on CNN. Uh, she was asked, you know, how do you kind of uh, justify you're getting a 34% increase? Why shouldn't workers get? She gave some weird math equation. Well, if you look at uh, compensation, my compensation, 92% of it is based on performance of the company. I kind of take that reading on in between the lines is the stock price. Uh, can you kind of talk about, because it seems like they're just doing this scheme of buying back the stock to juice up the stock so the CEO and executives make more pay. Not She's not specifically talking about, like, the, the workers. Well, the worst part of this, like I tell people, when she talks about performance, she's getting paid and, and the stock price goes up and down based off the performance of our members, of our workers, because they're in there busting their asses doing this work, delivering great product. Sales happen. That generates the massive profits. But... The sick, twisted part of this is, you look at the last four years, um, incomes have went up, uh, uh, sales have went up 65% in the big three, CEO pay went up 40%, stock buybacks went up 1,500% in the last four years. And member wages uh, uh, and the price of vehicles went up 34%, uh, inflation went up 20%, <laughs> our wages went up 6%. You know, our wages, our, our, our benefits and wages are 4 to 5% of the cost of making a vehicle. So, you know, the math doesn't add up. But when you, when you hear that staggering number, 1,500% stock buybacks went up in the last four years. I mean, that's, that's, that's the message. And, and they can, all they're doing is they're, they're hiding their pay. They can say a salary is $4 million. They end up getting $29 million because they get millions in stock buybacks and options and all that. So it's a shell game, and that's all it is. I mean, at the end of the day, they're taking a hell of a lot more than they're worth in this, and 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 no one no one deserves that much money. I don't I don't care who it is. The woman's made. You know, I don't want to just vilify her because all three of those CEOs are in the same boat. But when you've made 200 million dollars in the last nine or ten years, 
Uh, that's generational wealth. I mean, her grandkids and great-grandkids will never have to worry about a thing. You know, right. our workers don't have that. Our workers are just asking to be able to support themselves and their families. Do you feel that they're basically stealing, stealing your workers' labor at this point? Oh, you bet. I mean, they're still in their labor and they're still in their, they're still in their livelihoods. Um, you know, as I said earlier, when workers have to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, some of them have to work seven days a week to, to, to make ends meet. And that's criminal in this day and age. So uh, then that's what, that's what our mission's about. It's not just about the big three. It's about the working class everywhere, you know. It's about, you know, people talk about people at McDonald's or say, well, they work at McDonald's, they should only get this. I don't care what anybody does. It's all about time. We have to look back as a nation, as a world, you know, what's, in, what's the most important resource? People, you know, to me it's time. And when we get jobs, when we go to work, we're paid for our time. And we have to analyze that as a human. What is an hour of a human being's time worth? And no matter what, what work somebody does, it should be a living wage. It shouldn't be, you know, minimum, minimum wage. Minimum wage was established. If you go back and read FDRs, uh, when he talked about this, when they, when they brought the minimum wage on, he, he talked about it's not meant to be a, a, a minimum wage as a, as a means to scrape to get by. It's a living wage. And uh, we have to get back to that. We have to get back to wage, wage sustaining and jobs that sustain life and, and help people live a good life. Two more questions. Uh, I don't really care if you endorse President Biden. That's all that CNN cares about. But I am interested, you know, you hear some verbally uh, kind of uh, pro-worker language. Uh, he did, you know, stop a railroad strike at the end of last year. Uh, but aside from, you know, occasional uh, vague support, uh, there hasn't been a lot of action. There was no push for the PRO Act, which would have, you know, been a big boost for organized labor uh, when Democrats had complete control. Uh, you know, B Biden apparently is sending uh, two top aides here. Uh, I, I don't know what they'd be doing, but we know the Republicans and their views on labor. Do you need more from the Democratic Party aside from, you know, talk and showing up when the cameras are here? Yeah, I mean, the proof's got to be in the pudding. The proof's going to be in the work. I mean, and, and uh, as we said, our endorsements are going to be earned. It, it would drive me nuts as a worker to just watch sometimes we just endorse people, and there's really no body of work behind that. And uh, we can't be taken for granted no more. Workers shouldn't allow themselves to be taken for granted. And uh, so, you know, um, there's a lot of things going on in this economy, and there's a lot of things with the EV transition. I mean, we're not against a green economy. I mean, we got to have clean air. we got to have clean water. You know, we got to have a world for people to live in, future generations to live on. And um, but it's got to be a just transition where, you know, labor is guys a seat at the table. You know, there's a lot of money, you know, with the IRA that was put in play with the government, a lot of our taxpayer dollars to help fund this transition. But again, like always, the corporations come with their hands out. There's always a way the government finds a way to put money in their pockets. But labor gets left behind. Labor cannot continue to be left behind. And that's been our message to the White House, to Congress, and to anyone that'll listen. And so, you know, that's that's got to change. Do you feel that, you know, Ford just got $9.2 billion loan? They're making billions, so I don't really know why they need the loan, but would you like to see that with strings attached where there has to be set wages, there has to be set benefits, uh, you know, getting rid of this tale of two tiers. Uh, it seems like the government's just giving money without any strings attached. You bet, and that's been our message to the government, is if, if we're going if we're, if we're going to finance this, then it should be by our standards. They, they, it should not be a race to the bottom. And right now, they're driving a race to the bottom because the corporations want to continue to talk about being competitive. And competitive is just a, a, a race, a, it's a bait word for 
for a race to the bottom. And that's exactly what they're trying to drive. They want to pick the lowest bidder, and then they want to drive everybody's standard down to that. That's not what we're about. That shouldn't be what we're about as a country. Our, our elected leaders, no matter what party they're in, shouldn't stand for that. And unfortunately, the billionaire class runs this country. This billionaire class runs our politics because of Citizens United decision. And those things have to change. Uh, the only power we have as workers is we have the power of vote. But we got to vote, and we got to vote these bastards out if they do not take care of our needs. And you've mentioned corporate media a lot, which warms my heart. Uh, have you seen uh, a change where people are starting to tune out kind of that propaganda from corporate media that echoes and regurgitates the company's talking points, uh, and they're starting to gotta, you know, get their information uh, from outside sources. I th yeah, I think it's important. I think it, that's been a big problem with our union also. You know, we have to lead this fight. You know, this isn't, as I say, this isn't just our fight. It's the fight for the entire working class. It's, it's the fight for the poor. We have to lead. And for so many years, on top of living to fight another day, another phrase we heard was, is you don't talk to the media. Only the president talks to the media, only a vice president talks to the media, and then none of them talk. And so the corporations, and, and, and they put the spin out there, they put their narrative out there, and then no one hears from our side. So it forms opinion, people start forming opinions that we're greedy and all this other stuff. We're not greedy. We want our fair share of the economy we create. That's it. It's simple. And, and, and that's what my grandparents lived. You know, that was the American dream. My grandparents came from poverty. They migrated north to, and got UAW jobs, and it changed their lives. And, and that's what this is all about. We should be, we're leaving for the first time in history. We're going to leave things worse off if we stay on the same path we're on for future generations. That's inexcusable. We have to stop it. We have to turn this around. And it's possible. Thank you for talking to us. Well, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. You.